Welcome to the Future of Supply Chain. Each episode, we bring together leaders across the supply chain space to discuss the role of technology and business model innovation on the future of supply chain. The Future of Supply Chain podcast is presented by Dynamo. Dynamo is a pre-seed and seed stage supply chain investor. To learn more about Dynamo and this show, head over to www.dynamo.vc podcasts or subscribe on the platform of your choice. Now let's get into the show. Here's our host, Santosh Sankar. Hey, ladies and gents, welcome back to the Future Supply Chain Podcast. I'm your host, Santosh Sankar, and joining me today is my fellow partner, Barry Large. Welcome back, Barry. Great to be here, Santosh. It feels like it's been a year or so since I last my, my first um, and only appearance. It's probably been a bit longer than that. It might okay. be 18, at least 18 months, if not a, a couple of years. But given the time frame that has elapsed, would love for you to just give the people here the quick two-minute overview of Access America and now kind of what you're doing at Dynamo. Sure. So just out of college, two of my best friends and I, who are still together today, started a freight brokerage. This is in 2002. And we built that business over the course of the next 12 or so years, really starting out as kind of a, a modest shop that moved some flatbed freight building materials. And then over the next decade, diversified that business into every different type of sector. And at the end, we're dealing with, you know, a lot of Fortune 100 companies built it to be one of the largest private players in the country. It was a really awesome decade to start and build a freight brokerage. Just the timing and the life cycle of the whole industry feels like. And then that thing grew to be our last full year operation, did around half a billion in gross revenue. And we were at a point in our careers where we had begun dabbling in lots of stuff, not just Access America. We were doing, we had started several businesses that were offshoots and were, you know, in parallel to the freight brokerage model, but adjacent. And then we also were dabbling in early stage venture and found ourselves our hands in several pies, but you know, Access America was becoming a, a beast. It was 850 employees and was heading towards some needed change, whether that be an IPO or a merger or an acquisition, some sort of event. And we never really ran a process per se, but found a, a really good feeling strategic partner in Coyote that we felt that, that you know, we, we ran our businesses very differently on the freight side, but our cultures were very much the same. And so decided to merge that business in around 12, the idea of this joint entity going public, it would go public a lot faster together than apart. We let quite a bit of our equity roll into that new venture, it allowed us to step aside as, as founders. And before that public offering ever came to fruition, a UPS came in and purchased the entity in all cash. Now, this is about yeah. 2014. Yeah. So with that, you mentioned you, you founded, scaled, sold Access America over about a 12-year period. And I'd be curious for somebody who... May, kind of had that exit event 
right prior to kind of this manic period around digital freight brokerage. What are the thoughts going through your head now, right? As you've kind of seen the collapse of Convoy last fall, and there's still kind of murmurs and rumors that, hey, like there's still a bit of bloodletting in the industry to happen. So mindset now or my mindset when we sell the business? Okay. Now with the context of seeing kind of the benefit of that decade long period that you built in. Yeah. So, you know, we were, you know, we started this business in our early twenties. We did not even understand or know what venture capital meant. It never was really an option for us because we didn't know that it, you know, was an option available. And, And quite frankly, if you tried to get venture capital into this industry at that time, it wouldn't have happened anyway. But so we bootstrapped our business. We did it through bank debt and some guarantees early, but pretty quickly the exposure we had on our line of credit to fund our AR far outstripped any guarantees. So as it was to fail, everyone was cleaned out. So, but we grew it through our own cash flows in essence. And we grew it through our own EBITDA. And and that was always a focus for us. Now we were, you know, the business was never tech first. It was a sales beast that had, that used technology to enable it and to optimize it. But, you know, maybe the impression because we were young and a little more innovative in our thought was that we were some sort of amazing tech machine. We really were, we were an amazing culture. So, but when we sold, we were certainly aware of the amount of venture capital beginning to flood into the market. And we were aware of that we weren't necessarily on the cutting edge technology-wise. And, and my, my view then, and, and it's still today, is that, you know, there's, there, there will be an erosion of margin in this industry where classically, you know, 12 to 16% is your take rate. And, you know, technology enables that to be done for a lot less. Now, I think that if you look back in 2012, 2014, when the Uber freight were being funded to convoys, I think the idea was, and the fear was it was coming much faster than it did. And, you know, this is a stubborn industry. And it's a complicated industry. And it's, uh, uh, you know, it's incredibly fragmented. And so it's just that margin erosion has happened. In fact, in a lot of ways, it's never happened. If you look now, you know, margins still are in the uh, teens. Now, again, a lot of these yep. tech and these tech uh, venture funded brokerages grabbed market share by slashing rates and slashing margin aggressively. But the kind of the supply demand levelized kind of margin at the industry level is still in that early, you know, low teens. And so, yep. and, and it's where we're, where we're at. Now, where we're going, we can talk about as well. Let's rewind back to last year because you're on the board of Steam Logistics, who's a rapidly scaling freight brokerage business, part of the Dynamo portfolio 
you're a meaningful investor there as well. What was 2023 like? Where were you leaning in? What were the the certain actions that you were undertaking or encouraging management to ultimately think about? Yeah. So, you know, the last two or three years in this industry, you know, I've been in it now since 02, so we're over 20 years. You know, when we owned Access, we weathered the 08 Great Recession. We've seen some cycles. You know, that post 08 kind of bull market lasted a long time. But the ripsaw effect of coming out of COVID in this industry, I've never seen anything like it to where yeah. rates and demand was so high for a couple of years and, you know, getting freight, getting loads was so, so easy. It was like a drug to the industry and it happened almost overnight. I mean, in the spring of 2020, there was a fear that we were entering, entering into a freight apocalypse. And that was about a three week fear quickly replaced by this absolute massive bubble. Yeah. And so it was hard not to be intoxicated by it in this industry and to capitalize off of it. So this ripsaw effect in the industry led to this huge bubble. This is 2021 into 22. And, you know, it created this massive surge in revenue and it particularly benefited the freight brokerage industry as this middleman. Really, you know, one of the things about a freight broker is there's a lot of businesses out there where you control your pricing. You, know, you may have a product or service and you can go out there and set your prices. Well, freight brokerage is not one of those businesses. Right. It really moves with the macro trends, with supply and demand. And you can undercut, you can charge more, uh, but really the movement of prices is not up to you. And so you had within seemingly months when interest rates started rising, you had this just collapse of rates. And it started with ocean container to where you had, you know, these just hilarious inflated numbers and then this rapid collapse back, back below pre-COVID levels. But then it, it looked like Bitcoin. Also. Yeah, yeah. Just, I mean, I, I, it, there's, if you would map it over the last hundred years of price trends, I, it would just stick out. I'm sure like in this, this anomaly. So, so it's just hard to operate in that environment. And Ocean, you know, is and was a big part of the steam story. But it's also affected, you know, domestic and other aspects. Rates are just way down. And so you're, you know, you have an army of brokers out there doing the same amount of work to move a load. But, you know, the, the gross profit collected on that load is maybe half of what it was. So, yeah. Uh, and it happened so fast. And there was such a hiring explosion in the industry. And Steam was a part of that. And all of a sudden, you know, the, the paradigm had shifted. There's no, there was no, and still, there's beginning to be green shoots of change. But, you know, an unknown end to these depressed rates. And so what we... What I tried to do uh, as a board member was, you know, I think one of the best gifts you can give as a board member is wisdom and experience. And as you've seen, been around and seen ebbs and flows and is to try to, you know, keep our feet on the ground and anticipate, you know, 
changes that need to be made. And so, you know, the metric that Steam tracks and runs its business off of, or the main metric is gross profit per head, gross profit, you know, some brokers call it net revenue, but it's the, the amount you keep after you pay your carrier. And so it, the main trigger in this business is when do you hire new people and how fast do you hire and when do you hire? And, and we use gross profit per head. If, if it hits a certain threshold, then it could trigger starting to hire again. And so that gross profit per head uh, had intentionally really lowered so we could hire at a faster rate. And so but just by moving that metric up, it was a, a governor in the business. Mm. Uh, and, you know, there, and, and so it, it was a move earlier, I think, than some maybe to raise that target. Whereas if we were hiring at 10,000 per head, we're going to start hiring at 15,000. Yeah. And so that's the main, I mean, you know, this business is not that complicated. You've got people uh, in technology booking freight, and you've got people supporting that alongside it. And so when you make that change, you, you know, your headcount is going to smoothen yeah. as you grow. Is there anything kind of as you look ahead to 2024 now or still at the front end of this year that you're paying attention to or are preparing for as you kind of look at steam and, and the business going forward? Yeah, we are a part of the Dynamo portfolio, but we are not a classic venture company. Steam is, is not. It, it's taken some early kind of seed capital, but it, it is, it's operating as if it never raises capital again. So it's not going to go on this, the B, C, D route. So that means it has to grow through its own cash flows. And so we've always valued EBITDA and, and optimized to EBITDA, but there's been times and, you know, tree correction in a ZERP environment, it was valuing top line, maybe if you're weighing top line versus EBITDA, it's weighting it more towards top line. And so yeah. the last year has been optimizing EBITDA and that will continue. And it's been a, a, a difficult year because sometimes optimizing EBITDA is not fun. Yep. And so, but again, that gross profit per head has now risen to a healthy place to where it's now optimized as if and when the market comes back, which there's beginning again to see some green shoots of rates going up and capacity leaving the market to kind of get back into an equilibrium that it's ready to be back in a really strong, EBITDA positive position. Stepping back now and kind of thinking about the industry as a whole, you're also part of the board at Sender as a part of our seed investment many years ago now, but you're able to see kind of the use of technology inside of these organizations. What's the role in, in your eyes that technology plays in something that's so service oriented? And I think it's fair to say 
a lot of people have learned is a lot harder to automate away than they had originally <laughs> hypothesized. Yeah, it is. Technology, the tools of technology enable the broker to book more freight in a day. Uh, productivity. Productivity. It's productivity. And it's, it's if they have better tools. I mean, obviously the charisma and effort of a broker is still important and paramount. But if they have the data and the shortcuts and the suggestions of technology to book nine loads instead of three loads in a day, you know, charisma can only get you so far uh, in banging the phones. And so it's, it is using technology and tools to squeeze out more loads per day. And, you know, that's been, I think, tougher than imagined from Silicon Valley's perspective as they begin investing in this. You know, th this is a unique industry and data is not shared very readily. And you've got this long tail of trucking companies that are necessary to move freight, but you can't access their location and data as easily as some industries. And so it's been a challenge, but again, it's inevitable. And, you know, if I were to start a brokerage today and the way I, uh, you know, I counsel steam is you have to optimize your business to be able to r run it profitably at single digit gross margins there, you know, we've talked about how slowly the margin erosion has occurred, but that doesn't mean it's going, it, it you know, it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Right. And, and so I, I, I think if you can't operate profitably at a four five, six, seven 7% gross margin percentage, you're in, under real threat over the next decade or so. Now I thought that too, also 10 years ago. And so, you know, uh, it, I've been proven wrong a bit, but I still hold on to that belief. And so the only, the only way you do that, the only way you do that is through good technology. Is your belief perhaps emboldened as we've seen what something like GPT-4 can do? And we've certainly seen inside of other parts of our portfolio business models that are able to implement LLMs of various types and are kind of showing up with 50% gross margins. And is that something that you think is viable and perhaps a tailwind in this effort yeah. for brokerages living in uh, single digit gross margins? Yeah. I mean, uh, it feels tailor-made for for this industry and this problem to solve. Now, I don't understand AI at the level that, you know, many do. And you got to get the right data and train it on the right data sets. And the thing about freight brokerage is so much of it is live data. It's so about where assets are right now. And so, you know, a lot of what we see now in LLMs is trained on the last five years worth of it. It's that's I'm sure that's going to be a part of these models, but it's also about where trucks are now, or yeah, you know, and so 
you're going to have to still figure out ways of for all this capacity to share that. But it's out there. It's, gonna, it's inevitable. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know over what time frame, but where LLMs are headed from my kind of lay perspective, it, it seems to, this is such a transactional business. And so data-driven, the right LLM suggesting the right roads and or booking it without a human, it seems inevitable. And obviously that's an incredibly deflationary yeah. technology. So uh, yeah, in, in my mind over the 10 years, it, it, it will be the, you know, the huge contributor to the erosion of this margin into the single digits. So to bring us home here for the entrepreneurs listening in our audience, brokerage aside, forwarding aside, when you think about the world of freight, are there any problems that stick out or something when we started Dynamo nearly a decade ago, you're thinking about that still feels unsolved or just haven't seen enough of these people tackling? I mean, nothing specific. I would just say, you know, we, you see a lot more deals than I do, but I see a lot of stuff that makes it to, to me at the end. So, and I'm still amazed, you know, if, if I'm talking to a couple hundred entrepreneurs a year with different novel solutions in different parts of supply chain, there are thousands and thousands of problems to be solved. And I don't know particularly the right ones to go after, but if you are interested in the space and want to build a big business, you know, it's figuring out a way to expose yourself to some part of this industry. And then you'll figure out the problems to be solved if you bathe yourself in it for some period of time. I'll, almost every Dynamo company we invested in, you know, had been exposed to some aspect of some part of the supply chain. And then they just, some light bulb comes on. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is so backwards. I can solve this. So I don't know the, the specific answers, but I know, you know, this industry is unsexy. And then you know, it becomes sexier since Dynamo started. It was really unsexy when we started it. <laughs> like to think so. Yeah. But, you know, go find the unsexy in the unsexy, it's an unsexy industry, and then go pursue the unsexy within this unsexy industry. And if you're in it in a year or two, in some capacity, whether it's working for a startup or working for a, a big corporate, you know, chances are you're going to stumble upon a problem that needs to be solved. And it's not necessarily going to be the, the absolute solution for some entire segment. It's going to be tackle some specific small problem that can be a a massive business if you do it right. Love that. Love that. Well, that Barry, it was great catching up, getting your thoughts. Somebody who has this historical perspective, if you would, but uh, we'll see you tomorrow in the office. Sounds good. <laughs> good day. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a five-star review and tell us what you liked and be sure to head over to podcast.dynamo.vc to keep up to date with our latest content or subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. Until next time.